This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. More on the uh, Calgary-Vancouver trade coming up in hour two. Kelly Rudy stops by from Hockey Night in Canada, covering the Calgary Flames for Sportsnet as well regionally. Uh, Jim Rutherford, the president of the Vancouver Canucks, will be aboard at 1.35 Eastern. Look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, for more on this deal, I have a feeling this uh, trade will be the gift that keeps on giving. Plenty of grist for the mill for uh, talk radio in Vancouver and Calgary. Uh, joined now by Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet, both television, print, and radio as well. Ian, how are you today? Well, I had a I had a rather busy day yesterday. I've got to stop taking holidays yeah. or thinking I can take time off during the uh, the bye week going into the All Star no. game. But no. Jim Rutherford is Jim Rutherford is kind of the gift that keeps on giving wherever he's yes. been as a GM. And it was quiet here in Vancouver for his first uh, year and a bit, and it has been anything but quiet uh, the last year. Huge huge deal yesterday to get Lindholm. Yeah, that was enormous and almost uh, exactly to the day uh, when they traded Bo Horvat. Uh, a year and a day later, they pick up Lindholm. And, you know, I'll ask you the same thing that I asked uh, that I asked Elliot before you came on, and that is how much of Lindholm specifically? I think I'm talking about all the things that go into a player, the skill set that Horvat had, the skill set that uh, Lindholm has as well. You know, how much, considering, you know, this was a player that Rutherford and Alvin very much targeted, how much of that was, you know what, with Bo Horvat being moved, we have, you know, this that we need done and that that we need done, and a player that can knows how to do this and can succeed in this type of situation. You know, how much of this trade specifically do you think was, we need someone in here who could do the things that Horvat could. Lindholm fits that bill. Let's see if we can bring him in. Yeah, I, I think there were. I think there was part of that. Although the team did sign uh, Pew Suter and Teddy Bluger for center depth, and both have played exceptionally yep. well, as almost everybody has on the Canucks this season. But Teddy Bluger, especially, he's the third line center. So it's not that they were short a center per se. But Lindholm mm-hmm. just gives them so many more options. And you're correct that there's a, a lot of traits that cross over between Horvat and, and Lindholm. But Lindholm is, is a right shot center, which is something they desperately yeah. need. And he just gives them a, a lot of versatility. They, they have, let's say, three top six centers right now uh, with JT Miller, Elias Pedersen, and, and now Elias Lindholm. And I think all three are going to play in the top six. So somebody, uh, I don't think they're, they see him as, say, the third-line center. And Bo was one of three centers when he was here. I think they're really happy with, mm-hmm. with Teddy Bluger on the third line. So I think Lindholm will play with Ilias Pettersson. And it will be interesting when they practice Sunday in Carolina, uh, who's, who's at center and who's on the wing. Because Pettersson has played uh, left wing recently on a line with JT Miller uh, Rick talk at the coach. It's pretty clear that he, he wants to have Pedersen and Miller on different lines. He kind of put together the lotto line reluctantly and uh, mm-hmm. was never as excited about it as people in Vancouver seem to be. So if, if Pedersen, <laughs> Pedersen and Miller are going to play on separate lines, then Lindholm's going to be with Pedersen. Yeah. And I think he'll be the center and Pedersen the winger, but again, it, it's options and it, and it could be situational when when they need a right shot center when they need the left shot 
who they're up against. Sure. But Lindholm, Lindholm certainly, he checked all the boxes for what this team was was looking for. And as is the history of, of Jim Rutherford, and we're, we're starting to learn quickly about the history of Patrick Alvine, uh, as is, has, has occurred in the past, when they set their sights on somebody, they usually get their guy. And they're proactive, mm-hmm. and they pay what they need to pay, but they get their guy. Um, one of the things interesting with the um, well, with your comment, they pay what they want to pay. Um, pay what they need to pay. What are the things that, or what they what they need to pay? Apologies, apologies. Don't want to misrepresent you. Pay what they need to pay. You know, a lot of people were concerned when things really started to heat up here between Vancouver and Calgary. There's a there was a lot of well, we know this is going to cost. We know this is not going to be cheap. No one's getting Lynn home for pennies on the dollar. Uh, but it did very much sound like it was a okay, we're good to part with a lot of things. We're good to part with a lot of futures. Just don't touch Lekromaki. How were they able to do this without touching any of their elite, elite prospects? Yeah, and Lekromaki is one of their their few elite prospects. They have, they've done a great job of building prospect depth, but they don't have... The two, enough of the five-star guys, so they were able to hang on to Lekaramaki. Yep. They're able to ha- hang on to Tom Belander, their first pick from from last year, and they are also mm-hmm. able to to hang on to Elias Pettersson, EP two. And I know all these Eliases, yep. Eliases are going to get confusing in Vancouver, <laughs> but, but Pettersson and Vlander yeah. are their top two defense prospects. So they were able to make a trade without having to give up either of those guys either. I, I think Hunter Brustavich is kind of the wild card in this. He's he's the uh, yes. prospect the Canucks picked in the third round, having a great season in Kitchener, and has has so far has has outperformed his draft position. He's a guy who's who's got really intriguing upside. And he's kind of mm-hmm. it, it seems to me he's he's gonna be a, an all or nothing player in the pro like either his his skills will translate and he'll be this really dynamic offensively inclined defenseman at, at the next level or they won't. And he's a third round pick. So you don't know which way it's going to go, but ideally he's a guy I think they would have liked to keep in their system. Uh, Yanni Yurimo, mm-hmm. uh, the other prospect they traded has kind of underperformed his draft position. Or maybe he's, that might be unfair. That might be too harsh, but he, he hasn't, taken uh made as much progress as maybe the organization would have liked uh to this point coming up on four years since his draft the first round pick is always going to be uh a high cost in this case the canucks of course unlike most seasons recently they're not picking in the first half of of the first round that's going to be a very late first round pick this year so I think that, that made it easier to yep. part with, but it's still a huge cost. It's still a risk whenever you're giving up that first-round pick because we know how hard it is sure. to draft NHL players beyond that. And then uh, Andre Kuzmenko, um, you know, we've talked a lot about him this season and and just how how different year two has been for him in the NHL than what it was last year. I, I think we all had kind of come to recognize uh, as Rutherford and Alvin did, that this wasn't going to be a fit uh, for Vancouver. And apart from anything else, they needed cap space. Like if you're going to add Elias Lindholm, 
you yeah. have to move off uh, some salary. And Kuzmenko is is five and a half million. He's he's going to be, uh, I think, and I really like the guy. He has struggled, and right now he's absolutely bereft of confidence. So hopefully he scores a couple of goals early on in Calgary and and starts to feel yeah. like his old self again. He's going to be a good NHL player. He's going to be a guy who scores goals in this league, but he had come mm-hmm. to kind of exasperate the Canucks coaching staff because when he's not scoring goals, there's not a lot else that you're getting from him. And he just seemed like he wasn't going to be a Rick Tockett kind of player and didn't fit the template for how this yeah. team wanted to play. And so in that in that respect, I, I think the Canucks are, are quite, you know, not happy to be rid of him, but happy that they could fold him into a deal where they get a player of Elias Lindholm's quality in return. So then here becomes one of the questions that I'm curious about. Um, you're a lot closer to it. You can speculate a lot better than I can um, because right now this is you know pure speculation. But I'm always curious when a, a new player, especially someone with uh, the stature of um, uh, of Elias Lindholm comes to your team, what the cascading effect is, like who this affects specifically, you know, who's out of a job, who's going to see their minutes reduced, um, who's, you know, contract negotiation, does it affect? Um, how do you see the cascading effect in Vancouver of Lindholm arriving? Well, the 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 most immediate effect, uh, Pew Suter is now a winger, uh, I would say, right. uh, because they've now got, you know, they're really strong down down the middle. And they were strong even after the Bo Horvat trade, if you consider they still had Pedersen and Miller. Uh, that's a one-two punch that almost every team in the league would would trade for what they have. Now they have Lindholm. So positionally, you know, it doesn't really put anybody out of a job because in terms of lineup, it'll be a straight switch because Menko is gone and Lindholm is in. Uh, but it, as I said previously, it gives them a lot more options that way. Salary cap wise, uh, the Canucks, you know, they need money as most teams do, but you need money <laughs> when you're talking about trying to re-sign uh, Ilyas Pedersen, you know, yeah. for What's it going to be? Is it going to be 12 million? Is it 12 and a half? Who knows? They still have to sign Philip Ronick, who was the blockbuster deal they made ahead of the deadline last year and has been great in Vancouver. Yep. He's a restricted free agent as well. So they need they needed cap space, which was another dynamic to Andre Kuzmenko's struggles. That this wasn't a player at five and a half million. You couldn't just wait indefinitely for him to figure things out that you need if he's not going to be able to play for you soon and and play the way rick talk at once and you need to move him one thing and conjecture is what we do best jeff as you know the Ilias Pedersen contract talks uh, have basically just stalled and and that's uh Ilias's decision the canucks are ready to go so far we haven't seen anything it's very interesting to me that they now have Elias Lindholm, who who plays center, and you know Jim Rutherford, and and that's a great get for you guys to have him on in an hour. We're all going to be listening, uh, but Jim Rutherford uh, has said that you know they need they need to know at the end of the season, soon soon after the season ends, what's happening with Pedersen. They're they're okay for now. Uh, they they retain his rights. They're not worried about. They don't have to worry about losing him as a UFA. But they've got things to yeah. plan. Uh, and Patrick Alvin has said that as well. He, he 
told me, you know, there's a there's a pecking order of things you need to do contract wise. And although they're not worried about losing them, they they need to know what he's going to cost, what Pedersen's going to cost next year and beyond, and if he's going to be here. If it turns out that for whatever reason the season ends and Ilya still isn't really ready to go on negotiations, I think this is an intriguing option for Vancouver to try to re-sign Elias mm. Lindholm. I think for now, for now he's a rental. If they re-sign uh, Pedersen and Ronick, as I expect they will, it's going to be very hard to come up with enough term. They could probably come up with enough money for next season, whatever that would be for Elias Lindholm. But he's 29 years old. I don't think right. he wants to play on a two- or three-year deal. I think a long-term deal to stay right. in Vancouver would be difficult. But if things really go mm. off the rails with the Pedersen negotiations, this is an interesting fallback position for the Canucks. You know, it's uh, that's such an interesting point. And I think about uh, Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues when they brought in Justin Falk as Alex Petrangelo insurance, just in case Petrangelo didn't resign or the conversation and the negotiations went south, they would have someone there. Uh, that could sort of, maybe a little bit, kind of take the place of Alex Petrangelo. So as you as as you mentioned this, Ian, I'm bobbleheading this and saying, you know what, St. Louis did this not too long ago. This this, this does make a lot of sense. So here becomes the question: What's next for Vancouver? Uh, and if it is anything, will it be substantial? Or now, when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks, are we are we now just talking about final little touches, not trade deadline, tweak deadline for the Vancouver Canucks? Well, when they when they got Nikita Zadorov, it was a big trade at the time, right at the end of uh, November, also yeah. from Calgary. But that was the appetizer. The main course is Elias Lindholm. I think there's going to be some dessert, and I think I think the Canucks will continue to look to add uh, at least another defenseman. You know, looking back at what uh, Jim Rutherford did when he was in Pittsburgh, and of course Patrick Alvin was there in Pittsburgh with him. Alvin just wasn't the GM. Rutherford was. But in both of their Stanley Cup run years in 16 and 17, they added uh, defensemen. Uh, uh, the first year, it was uh, Justin Schultz and Trevor Daly, who went on to, to play significant yep. roles for them. Uh, the next year, it was Mark Street, Ron Hainsey, you know, uh, established pros who you can kind of plug in and they're low maintenance and just, you know, good, solid NHL players. I think they're looking for another one of those, another good, solid NHL mm. defenseman. Right now, uh, they have they have uh, six really dependable guys, and and they have a uh, seventh in Noah Juleson, who has you know had tremendous development this year for them. And right now, he's playing because Carson Soucy is injured. Yep. I think they'd like another guy, and I'd be surprised, Frank, with. This is an eternity to the trade deadline for Jim Rutherford. There's all kinds of things you can do in a month. <laughs> uh, I suspect yeah. they're going to go out and get uh, at least another uh, defenseman. And, you know, they may not be done there. Interesting times. Uh, Ian, thanks as always for uh, coming on the Sharp and the Pencil on uh, this deal and what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks and maybe most importantly, what's next uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks as always, my friend. You be well. Thank you, Jeff, and to you, and I'll be uh, watching Jim Rutherford shortly.
Yes, your Motherford's coming up in about eh, 40 minutes' time here on the uh, program president of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we heard Craig Conroy talk yesterday about the Calgary Flames side of the deal. You can hear how it came together uh, from the Vancouver point of view, from the man who showed us, who showed all the teams early, the beginning of the salary cap era, how you do trade deadline. And that is most notably... You don't do trade deadline. You do your deals before trade deadline. And that's when he was the manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. In the first year coming out of the lockout, he made his moves early. And the last team standing at the end of all of it were his Carolina Hurricanes. See what happens. But Vancouver looks good. This team looks scary. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matt Marchese, how are you doing today, pal? I'm good. Shout out Jim Rutherford from Beaton, Ontario. How about it? Doing another big deal. <laughs> Your hometown. Your hometown now. How about like uh, shout out uh, Brad May and Michael Delzato and uh, Keith Acton and Will Acton and Jermaine Franklin <laughs> and all the good hockey and broadcasting people from Stouffville, Ontario. How about that one? Nice work. Nice work. I like it. By the way, thanks. by the way, yeah, before thanks. we before we get into Thank the you. bet here, that trade when I saw it yesterday, yeah. I was like, well, all the people on the East Coast that like to rip on the Canucks, well, you can't do that anymore. I think that's done. <laughs> yeah that's the truth buddy that is uh that is the truth so we got no games we have the yes. uh the three-on-three showcase the pwhl we have the uh we have the draft uh for the all-star but we don't have any games so what are we musing about tonight maddie well we're looking at sports interaction and their futures bets and the one that stuck out to me because okay. i think it's great is will austin Matthews score 70 plus goals in the 2023-24 season Ooh. currently at plus 500 yeah. and i look at that and i go that is spicy because i have this feeling that he's gonna get to 70 yeah. because he can just score like you know those he goes three games without scoring and then in five games he'll have eight yeah. goals and you're like oh he's back on pace again well here's the thing about goal scorers you know how you know i, I love one of my pet favorite things that i hear people say is oh this goal scorer is streaky um mm-hmm. you know what the history <laughs> of the nhl teaches us yeah all goal scorers are streaky i hate to break the news to you uh, I'd love it just because it's fun and you would add another to the, uh, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Phil Esposito, Bernie Nichols, etc. 70 goal club. So uh, I hope it happens. I hope he stays healthy enough for it to happen. I just wonder if the Maple Leafs are tucked into a playoff spot and they're looking at either resting Matthews for the playoffs or letting him chase 70, which way they go. But that's an interesting bet. That is a really interesting one. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Jim Rutherford is the president of the Vancouver Canucks. He joins me in hour two to talk about the Lindholm trade from a Vancouver point of view and what's next for the Canucks. But next, Kelly Rudy in moments. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, Hour 2. Welcome to it. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Jim Rutherford, the president of the Vancouver Canucks, about the big Lindholm trade that everybody is talking about, that we're talking about, Elliot and I talked about, McIntyre and I talked about, and Kelly Rudy and I will talk about now from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet, the one and only Kelly Rudy with me. How are you today, Kel? I'm doing fantastic, Jeff. I, uh, Don and I just got into town last night and looking 
forward to a nice. really busy three days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there's a, and there's a real buzz and there's a real charge. Um, I mean, you know what it's like for these these uh, these these types of events. Now, before I get to this deal, you know, Elliot and I were talking about the uh, the Gretzky pop up, the uh, the Gretzky's yeah. basement pop up over. Uh, and and uh, have you had a chance to go? Are you planning on going? It, look, I'm seeing Wayne walk through it yesterday. Sure, it was so cool. Do you have any plans to go check this one out? Well, I'm hoping to perhaps tomorrow. Uh, I saw it all on social media, and it was amazing in the video. And I, I love yeah. meeting uh, Paul's mom and all that. And then business yeah. reaction on social media, just the whole thing was amazing. <laughs> but I loved it. It was uh, it was so cool. And what how fitting in Toronto, right? Just everything about it. And we're seeing sure. across from uh, City Hall, and there are the hockey games there. I saw oh, Cassie nice. Campbell Pascal out there yep. this morning, and. The whole bit. So everything is just amazing. It's awesome. Uh, it's a wonderful place, hockey. Uh, it's a wonderful yep. place. And uh, listen, we had uh, a lot of uh, fruit fall off the vine yesterday with this Calgary-Vancouver deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a couple of sidebars to, to all of this. One, you know, Jim Rutherford, we should not be surprised that he likes to make his moves well in advance of trade deadline. You know, I wonder about, you know, how much of, you know, what Lindholm brings to the game is is similar to what Horvat brought to the game. And this is sort of a little quasi-replacement in, uh, in Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, with Lindholm. But I mean, listen, you've been there to watch all of this. And the one thing that I that I keep coming back to here that I'm, I'm still stunned about, you know, Kelly, did it not seem like five minutes ago that the Calgary Flames had the best line with all due respect, Boston, with all due respect, Dallas, yep. with all due respect, Colorado, the best line in the NHL with Gaudreau and Kachuk and Lindholm. It was the top line in the NHL, period. Five minutes and, later, they're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. And. To that point, Jeff, and I totally agree with Craig Conroy. A couple of years ago, uh, Lindholm was in the running for the Selkie, and he lost to Bergeron. Now, I'm certainly yes. not ever going to say anything bad of Bergeron. He's an amazing player. He was just phenomenal. He deserved all the accolades and trophies and so on. But that year, Lindholm should have won the Selkie. He was just amazing. And that's what mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks fans are going to get. They're going to get just a tremendous two-way player and, and a a really terrific person. By the way, Jeff, I know you are the hockey historian on our program, but Uh-oh. did you know that I played oh, with uh, uh, his dad in Los Angeles? His dad, Michael. Tell me the story. Had, yes, his yeah. dad, Michael, played, I believe, 18 games with us in my very first full year in Los Angeles, eighty nine ninety, And I remember there was a conversation. I was asked to come to the rink early uh, one day, and go on the ice about half an hour early because Michael is going to make his first appearance with us in a practice. And Rogi Bashan asked me to come to the rink and just see what kind of shot he had. And uh, so it was really cool and get to know his dad, Michael, and just a wonderful family and then get to know Elias. And he was such a nice person. Like, I, you know, I'm getting a little sentimental here. I'm going to miss him, you know, traveling with the Flames. <laughs> and he always took a lot of yeah. time to share, you know, a nice conversation with me. So he. No, to my point, the Vancouver Canucks are getting a, a really great player and a really good person. They're going to like him. Just having a look. Yeah, just having a look here at his, at his dad's DB. He played the uh, the 18 games with the Los Angeles Kings. Played uh, in, in yep. the minor leagues as well with New Haven and, and Phoenix as yep. well, and then and then back to Sweden. What just really as as an aside, how was his shot? 
His shot wasn't too bad. What I remember was, unfortunately, and I think Michael might agree if he's ever going to listen to this, that his skating probably wasn't <laughs> where it needed to be <laughs> in the National Hockey League. So that <laughs> may have held him back a little bit. But, yeah. uh, you know, as, as you know, sure. that's not the case with his son. His son has it all. By the way, another fact for Canuck fans, I know they're – their penalty kills good already. I think it's eighth in the National Hockey League, something like that. But they're going to get one of the best penalty killers in the league. And I know uh, shorthanded goals four, yeah. that should help them. I think they have only have four, and Lindholm is a big part of the uh, uh, Flames when they scored uh, 10 already this year. So it's just, it's just going to be a really good fit. Um, speaking of, of, of fits, um, the Tyler Toffoli deal uh, in the in the offseason uh, brought in Yegor Sharangovich. And at times early, we're like, okay, where's the fit going to be here? And then they figured it out, and Sharangovich looks real good. Um, do you get the same type of vibe with Andre Kuzmenko? Um, hasn't exactly had the best season this year under Rick Tockett. Uh, I don't think anyone thought he was going to continue to you know to shoot a 27 percent uh like he did last year um but you know what what are the what's the plan here like how do they plan to use someone like kuzmenko where does where does he fits uh all all those issues around kuzmenko with calgary now okay well number one and uh i'm stealing this from craig conroy and some of his interviews uh, earlier today and yesterday sure that definitely on the power play because they're the Flames power play is uh, frankly just old. It's miserable. It's uh, 29th, I think, uh, and it mm-hmm. you know they just need to be a lot more dangerous. They are honestly very rarely generate a lot on the power play, so they're hoping that he can really fit in on that uh, power play. The right-handed shot is very important. Sharon Govich is a left-handed shot, but he's been playing. Uh, he was playing with Lindholm on the right uh, side, and so I don't know where Kuzmenko will go right now, and they're going to have to shuffle the deck because that's mm. a big loss. But when you look at the right side, they have Blake Coleman, who's all, all also a left-handed shot, uh, Coronado, first-year player, right-handed shot, and Klapka. And so you can see for the depth that they're really going to need Kuzmenko to sure. sort of find his game again. I think one thing, there's no question, everybody can see the talent. But I think consistency, and, and now maybe that's a little bit because he was in and out of the lineup and maybe a little down on himself. But one thing when you're that old, he's 27. I, I, could be, I think he has a birthday this weekend, so I think he turns 28. That's very important that he finds that consistency because at that age, you know, I think coaches can lose a little bit of faith in a guy if you're in and out. Yeah, February 4th, good for you. You got it, 1996. It's uh, Andre Kuzmenko's birthday. He'll turn 28 years old. You know, that is an interesting point, too. One of the things that, you know, someone told me this years and years ago, Kelly, I can't remember who it was, and it always stuck with me. And it was about, we were talking about players, and we're talking about, and you've seen guys like this, Mm -hmm. countless guys, and you've played with them. It's guys that are just loaded with talent, um, but for whatever reason, can't pull it all together. And this person said to me, you know, one of the greatest skills you can have when you're, you know, an, an elite player or have elite skill, he said, you know, one of the great things is having the talent to manage your own talent. Like yeah. you've seen this before, guys that are like super skilled, but, you know, don't have whether it's a, a discipline, a routine, a mindset, something to harness and channel all of that talent. You know what I'm getting at here, Kelly? Oh, boy, I've already got two names that came to mind. Of course, I'm not going to share those <laughs> names, but and it, it's puzzling because I, I'm sure they were puzzled by why why are these two guys that I'm thinking about, why were they 
mostly the best player in practice every single day, and yet it just didn't translate yeah. to yes. on the ice in a game. And and you know every drill, they're the first guy in the in the line, and they're just unbelievable. You're like, wow, what a talent! And then the game is played, and you're like, man, I don't even remember him playing. And 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 you know that's you know yeah. I, I don't want to get too personal because there's a lot of things going on in a person's life. Why? Maybe that it doesn't translate sure. on the ice, but, but uh, yeah, definitely, and, and and that's one of the hardest things. Like you know, you've got to find a way. Al Arbor always used to say, "You have it in you. I, I can't tell you how to get it out of yourself, but it's there, and you have to find a way to channel all that, whether it's anger or enthusiasm or all these different emotions or nervousness, uh, all these different feelings you have." You can get it out of yourself. You just have to f- learn how to do it, and we're all different. So for me, I just had to channel my – basically, for me, it was nervousness. I had to channel it into enthusiasm sure. and uh, and anger. Anger was a big part of my game, and it really fueled me. Um, now, I was warned by Elliot not to use the analogy that I'm about to use for mm-hmm. Hunter Bruskevich, not, you know, because I'm we're, we're on in Calgary right now. Yeah. But um, defenseman for the Kitchener Rangers, uh, having a spectacular year. You know, his foot speed probably held him off uh, the World Juniors this year. But nonetheless, I mean, he projects uh, as a really highly skilled defenseman. Sure. Um, yeah. And in the OHL, he's referred to as the Adam Fox of the Ontario League. Like, that okay. is the skill set. <laughs> Elliot said, don't say Adam Fox in Calgary, right. Jeff. Don't do it. Don't do it when Kelly, when Kelly's on. Don't do it at all. But there it is. Sorry, everyone in Calgary. But the, for, as far as the skill set goes, he's the uh, the Adam Fox of the OHL. Is he the wild card in this trade, do you think? That, I mean, this oh, yeah. one could really be a tape measure home run here. 100%. What What is he, third in OHL scoring, Jeff? So that tells you... Yes, as a defenseman. As a defenseman, yes. Yes, so that's crazy. And, uh, boy, what a comparison, though, Adam Fox. I mean, he's one of the great defensemen in the the world right now. So I am interested in getting a look at him. Uh, Frankly, I don't know a lot about him, Jeff, so I'm going to have to look at some YouTube video and just sort of get a a grasp of what he does. And uh, I am kind of on board with Elliot, how he said he should change his last name to Smith. So <laughs> uh, I might. <laughs> and I can jokingly say that because of my, my unusual last name too. So I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> but he, yeah, I'll it, tell you what, when, 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 yeah. when, when you start watching some of the video, I mean, he, uh, you're right. He's third in the OHL in scoring. Uh, but he's number one with assists. Like, he is a sublime passer. Like, that's one of the yeah. first things you'll notice about him, Kelly. This guy, this guy can move the puck. It really, he really is special. Now, when you look at the Flames D, right handed shooting, you've got Chris Tanev, which does, he does a million great things, but uh, puck moving at that level is uh, not what you really think of. Although he's a better puck mover than people uh, give him credit for. Uh, I don't want to be dismissive in that way. And then you have, Mackenzie Weger and Rasmus Anderson in no particular order, but those two guys are excellent at moving the puck. So if you were to, as rumors have it, suggested that Tanev would mm. be on the move, then at some point when Hunter joins the team, if he does, then on the right side, you've got three really good puck moving right-handed defense in which every team would love to have that. Absolutely. Um, okay. So uh, off of this one, Oh, by, by the way, just as an aside, you know, it, I, I'm always curious about, 
you know, managers that kind of get backed into, into into corners. I'm not saying like Craig Conner was put in a corner here, but it's pretty obvious no. that, you know, it wasn't going to work out long-term for Lindholm, much like it wasn't going to work out long-term for Tyler Toffoli, much mm-hmm. like it wasn't going to work out long-term with Nikita Zadorov, and, and those have been the, the, the big three trades from Craig Conroy. Um, how do you see Calgary behaving, you know, from here to the trade deadline? Is it, you know, open window on deals? We do wonder about Hannafin and, and Tanev, et cetera. Sure. Uh, I think it would take a Brink, Brinks truck to get Markstrom out of uh, out of Calgary. He's, you know, Kevin Woodley was on the other day and, you know, talking about clear sight analytics and the, the underlying numbers, the interior numbers for yep. Markstrom. It's like, look, uh, he's having a Vesna-type season. Like, he is just having a tremendous season. Don't ever lose sight of it. Um, but how yep. do you see Conroy and the Flames behaving between here and deadline? Well, as I know you've referenced a number of times on your show, uh, that uh, the great Rogi Vashon always told me that uh, everybody, I talk about everybody, and every single day I talk about everybody. And so what I would say with Conroy, I think Conroy has done a phenomenal job in his first year's general manager. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things Rick Ball and I have talked about, about the Toffoli, Sharon Govich trade, isn't that what a trade is supposed to be where both teams win? Like, yes. there's no winner or yes. loser in that trade. Both teams got what they needed. Both teams are happy with the players that they got in return. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, Conroy, he's going to be looking now at uh, not only Hannafin and Tanev, but others. And I agree. I was listening to uh, Kevin when he was talking about Markstrom. But, hey, listen, when you've made a big trade like getting rid of Lindholm, everything should be on the table now and everything should be about building yeah. for the future. You know, it, it is interesting. You bring up the uh, Toffoli, Sharon Govich example about do- both teams getting uh, what they want. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, amongst other things, it ensures that Tom Fitzgerald and Craig Conroy will do subsequent deals. Like, there's there no, you like, go. okay, you ripped me off. Although, uh, I, I do kind of miss, and you know, listen, you were part of this era, Kelly, uh, as, a, as a player. Uh, I do kind of miss the old pirate days where GMs were just trying to rip each other off at, at any turn. And it's like you knew that if I, if Cliff Fletcher was calling, it's like, oh, I don't want to take this call because I'm going to have to count my fingers afterward. Like, I part of me really misses those days when, when all GMs were pirates. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, right? It just it is a little different now. But, but having said that, Jeff, I, I think you and I both know there's no going back to those days. And, and guys were ruthless. No. And, and now still, the, oh. they still are ruthless in their own way, but it's not as overt as it was back then. You know, I, I have, to your point, I have referenced your conversation with Rogi Vachon often because mm-hmm. it's, it's one of your stories that's always stuck with me and it's better heard with your voice and your words. Can you share with the listeners and viewers your Rogi Vachon conversation sure. that completely turned you around? Yep, so I had been traded from uh, New York to L.A. and after I think a couple of years of playing with the Kings and getting to know Rogi on a, a more personal le- level, just an amazing human being. And we were flying home from some city out east. Uh, it was the last game on a ro- long road trip. And so we're on the charter home that night. And so Rogi and I are in the aisle talking about just life and hockey and all these sort of things. And I said, so something like, so how often do you talk to another general manager about some of us? And he looked at, he didn't even hesitate, just looked at me, Jeff, and goes, Kelly, no offense, but I talk to uh, general managers every single day about every single one of you. I was like, oh, 
Okay, so, <laughs> so should I put my house up for sale? I just bought a house about a year ago. I'm not sure if I should be selling or rent an apartment for the rest. So it was quite the uh, the bold statement. Like I, I knew that they talked a lot about us. I didn't know it was on yeah. such a frequent basis. Did you get the feeling like, uh, hey, Donna, don't buy any green bananas. We're not sure if we're going to be here long enough for them to ripen. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious, right? Oh, man. Um, okay, before I wrap up with you, just um, uh, a couple of quick thoughts here. Um, uh, All-Star is done. The interesting thing about this trade, too, is this isn't just a, you know, we're trading just for futures here and, and we're rebuilding and tearing this thing down and all these picks and all these prospects we're not going to see for a couple of years. They got a player, too. Um, just like they got a player for Tyler Toffoli. Um, Nikita Zadorov mm-hmm. was a different situation. Um, listen, all of a sudden, the St. Louis Blues have entered the chat. I know that game the other night against Columbus was a, was, it was a real dog of an effort, but nonetheless, St. Louis is right in there too, uh, competing for a playoff spot. How do you see? You know, how do you see the the Calgary Flames and these chases for for wild card spots? Oh boy, what a conversation this is! Uh, St. Louis was in Calgary a week or two ago. We did the game, and I recall St. Yep. Louis was one point behind the Flames when the game started, and then they went on a five game winning streak and put some distance between themselves and the Flames, and the Flames have sort of struggled from that point on. I suspect that it's going to be a race again because I've just watched the Flames too often, and they, they get on a run, and they they get great contributions yeah. from everybody. And as you mentioned, Markstrom has been great. By the way, I heard your conversation with Elliot about Vladar. There's not a lot of interest. He's been playing really good lately. So uh, that might spark hmm. some conversation. But uh, I just think it's going to be a terrific uh, race between these two teams. I really like St. Louis when they came in. And uh, Braden Shen is starting to play like Braden Shen can again. Yeah. And he's such a good leader. And, yeah, they've got a lot of good stuff going on. Robert Thomas, as you understand, you know he should be also yeah, in the yeah. talk for the Selkie. Not yep. only is he a good offensive player, but he does everything as a young centerman. So it's really exciting for St. Louis. And, and But I would suspect that uh, they are on the phone as well, looking to see how they can improve or what assets they have that uh, might turn into something else for them. Absolutely. Uh, Kelly, on that, we'll let you go. Uh, it's a busy time. Uh, I know you're in town. want to take part in as many All-Star festivities as possible. Yep. Uh, best to you and Donna, as always. And we will we'll check you out on TV. We'll check you out around the All-Star uh, weekend here in Toronto. And we'll talk to you again soon. You be well, my friend. Thanks, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon, bud. There he is, the great Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada, uh, the NHL on Sportsnet, covering the Calgary Flames with Rick Ball uh, and Ryan Leslie as well. The big news from yesterday, which bleeds into today, and we'll get to Jim Rutherford at the bottom of the hour about it, uh, the Lindholm deal. Uh, He finds a home in Vancouver, and yes, once again, Jim Rutherford gets the jump on everybody at trade deadline. Not to say that there aren't players still available, um, I know when a player like this goes off the board, everyone says, oh, it's going to be a dud. And l- listen, like the last few years, trade deadline, it's... Let's put it this way. You know what we did last year at trade deadline? Spending a lot of time doing, trying to figure out if the Winnipeg Jets were going to move Logan Stanley to the Washington Capitals because that was going to be big news. So we'll see what happens when we get there. There's still a lot of runway and a lot of time 
uh, before we do get there. There's still you know, Sean Monahan and Adam Enrique and maybe Morgan Frost and Jake Gensel and Vlad Tarasenko and maybe Casey Middlestad. These are just forwards. Plenty of defensemen, netminders as all. Well. We think of Marc-Andre Fleury and Elvis Merzlikens, who's asked for a trade, and John Gibson might be a wild card here, and Jake Allen with the Montreal Canadiens. So... If you're in the market for any position, there are always players available. But maybe the biggest of them all is now off the board. So we bring in Matt Marchese. Jim Rutherford, by the way, coming up at the bottom of the hour, president of the Vancouver Canucks. Matty Marchese, uh, how did you greet the news last night? Well, I saw it, and I saw Elliot's tweet, and I went, oh, no, the Canucks going to add a really good player to an already really good roster? So I'm good. like, I, Yeah. and looks so good. I so I good. I floated this out a couple weeks ago when I was hosting. Like when you looked at the roster, you're like, okay, they probably. I know a lots of people are like, oh, maybe they'll add a winger, but I thought center was the spot. I just didn't think it was going to be Lindholm that they were going to make the move for. I what I what I like about the deal is, and and Ian McIntyre talked about it uh, just previously in the last hour, was the flexibility yeah. that it now allows the Canucks to have with their, with their lineup. Like if they're comfortable with Teddy Bluger as their third line center, which, you know, it it does seem like they are. Well, that allows you to have Lindholm as your second line center. And if you really wanted to, to spread things out, you could have, you know, Lindholm as your three C. I think there are a lot of teams that would like Lindholm as a three C if you really wanted to balance things out. So he's, I think the move is great. He's not a three C. Uh, no, no, absolutely, no, no. He's not. But I'm just saying, if you wanted to spread the wealth out a yeah, little no. bit, it allows you to sure. do that. I think keeping Miller and Pedersen together is the thing to do, just because they're so darn fun to watch. Like that's selfishly me saying, keep them together, please, because it's very enjoyable. But yeah. I think the deal is a home run for you, them. They, you know, one roster player and then picks and prospects. I mean, if you're going for it, you can't ask for much better. And they protected, you know, specifically Jonathan Lekaramaki as well, which yeah. I know that they, like, they're elite guys they protected. Um, but I still do think that uh, Hunter Perskevich uh, could really be a wild card here and could do real well uh, when eventually he does turn pro. I know the knock, the, the, the knock on Perskevich has always been the skating, that it's not been at the elite uh, elite level. I used to worry about that for junior kids, and I don't anymore, Maddie. Because yeah. we've seen too many players that, you know what? Oh, uh, the skating is going to be an issue. Well, let's look with, with, uh, with Bo Horvat uh, is a great example. Oh, coming out of London. Oh, the skating's going to hold him back. Then we're going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, the skating gets quote-unquote fixed. Like, teams are just too sophisticated with too many wonderful trainers right now for issues that you see in junior to remain as you turn pro. So I don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock in in that because things get corrected and players uh, can always develop. Okay, we spent a lot of time on, on this uh, trade, and we're going to get back into it with Jim Rutherford coming up at the bottom of the hour. Um, but a couple of intriguing games last night. Uh, the Ottawa Senators knock off the Detroit Red Wings, so they went back-to-back games in overtime. Uh, that was an interesting one, but uh, the Los Angeles Kings win a game, comma, finally. Over the Nashville Predators, double them up 4-2. Dave Riddick with 39 saves. And I got to wonder, is Dave Riddick now the number one goaltender with the Los Angeles Kings? And if so, what does Rob Blake think about that? Well, I don't think that Rob Blake goes to bed comfortable if that's the case. How about that? Because the one thing that I would imagine really causes sleepless nights is 
worrying about your goaltender. Like that to me, because what do we always say? When you have one, what do you say? When you have one, it's you know what's the what's that line? When you have one, it's a hundred percent of the game. Seventy percent of the game. No, when when you the the old saying is, if you have a goaltender, it's seventy percent of your team. If you don't, it's a hundred. Yeah, I've seen that so, so many times. Yeah, how many well, times and, have you and seen great is, great teams undone by bad goaltending? Hundred percent, and that's. Not that that's been the case with L.A. because they also haven't been able to score a lot of late. I mean, they scored four last night, but scoring has been an issue, which, you know, for the longest time didn't really feel like it was going to be. Well, why? Because they were getting elite goaltending from Cam Talbot. And now you look at it and Rob Blake's probably looking going, am I really comfortable going into the playoffs with with this tandem? And the answer has to be no, because you've seen the good and the bad with both goaltenders. And you know, Copley's out for the rest yeah. of the year, so so obviously you can't go back to that well. I, I'd imagine that they're scouring, like you said, scouring the earth looking for a goaltender because, Jeff, when you look <laughs> at the rest of the roster, are you really uncomfortable with yeah. anything else? Like, maybe you can add a defenseman, but every team can always add a defenseman. But when I look at L.A., I think the forwards look pretty good. The defense looks pretty good. It's the goaltending that would keep me up at night. So I, I think that, yes, you're happy to get the win, especially going into the All-Star break, but you're far from comfortable if you're Rob Blake looking at your goaltending situation right now. I'll tell you, the team that I'm that I'm, I'm curious about with the Los Angeles Kings when it comes to goaltending, and they these two teams have done significant deals before. Do you not look at L.A. and say, Man, I wonder about Minnesota and Marc Andre Fleury. I was just gonna say that. I that was the name as you were talking. I'm like, he's gonna say Marc Andre Fleury here. I think it would be a great fit. Do you hang because, on. yeah? Hang on. Do, do you not look at Marc Andre Fleury and then the juicy sidebar of LA facing off against Vegas at some point in the playoffs? Of of course, the sword in the back. Of course, so good. absolutely, so good. <laughs> like, so good. Uh, just and, cheer and, for stories, folks. Just, just cheer uh, for stories. Hundred percent, and I and I like the fit there because what we have what we have seen from LA is I don't and I I don't mean to disparage any of the goaltenders that have gone through the system, but I don't think anybody really thought that we were going to get a lot from Cam Talbot this year, and we got a lot more than everyone expected. We saw Corpusallo go to LA last year, play really well. He parlayed that into a long term extension with our long term deal. Sorry, with the Senators. I think Marc-Andre Fleury goes in there, and I, I think it's a good fit. It at least allows you to, you know, have, uh, you know, a, another guy that you can put in there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, was Cam Talbot not the goalie with Marc-Andre Fleury at some point? Is my memory serving me correct, Jeffrey? Um, I'm pretty sure Cam that there's a history there, is there not? Talbot. There was a history with the Minnesota Wild, and that was one of the more surprising <laughs> trades on the floor in Montreal at day one of the draft when yeah. Cam Talbot so, got suddenly moved to Ottawa. So we don't we don't necessarily, I mean, whether or not Cam Talbot likes the deal, if it were to be Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't think that that's going to matter at this point. But there is a little bit of sidebar history there that would add a little bit of, as you like to say, spice to the chili. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, on that, let's hit a break. Uh, standing by for Jim Rutherford, the president of the Vancouver Canucks. Want to leave as much time as possible when uh, Rutherford checks in. So, um, your, 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 your fellow, how do we call them? 
How do you call someone from, uh, or how do you refer to someone from Beaton, Ontario? Beatonite? Betonian. Betonian? Is that true? Yeah. Or are you making that up? No, no, You don't that's know, true. do you? Is it Betonian? Yeah, no, 100%. That is? Yeah, there's a there's oh, okay. a burger there's a burger at the local bar called the Muddy Water Hotel, <laughs> that is called the yeah. it's called the Betonia Burger or the and so I refer to it as Betonian. Hang on, so you're referring to people from Beaton as Betonians as yeah. opposed to Beatonites? Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know. What to, I'm not I'm not asking to be a jerk. I just don't know. And, no, and that's for true. you, it's all based on a burger at a local establishment. No, it's what makes. That's what it's guides also your what vocabulary. Makes sense to me. So it's like, what's on the menu is how is what guides my guides my vocabulary. I'm Matt Marchese. Is that true? Ask Jim. Jim would know. He would know. He lived here long enough. <laughs> Get to bore him with questions like that. We're gonna ask about Lindholm. Ah, <laughs> uh, secondary burgers and beaten beaten on beaten Ontario. Ask uh, him about the Muddy Water Hotel. A president. Of the, uh, we'll see if we get around to that. There's a couple of other pressing issues that I'm sure people want to hear about, other than the what's it called? The Muddy the mu- Muddy Water Hotel. The Muddy Water Hotel. Well, we'll see if we get around. Let me let me write that down, Maddie. I'll uh, make sure I get to it. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Jim Rutherford and Moments, uh, you're listening on podcast. Thank you for allowing us into your ears, your phones, wherever. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. It is the uh, the trade that everyone continues to talk about well into today, and we will continue to talk about for the remainder of the season. Uh, the Lindholm deal that sees the uh, the Swedish center make his way from Calgary to the Vancouver Canucks. Jim Rutherford is the president of the Vancouver Canucks, and he joins me now to discuss said deal, amongst other things. Uh, Jim, good afternoon. Good morning. Thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Pretty good, thanks. Um, so this deal, uh, the one thing that we've known hysteric, uh, historically about how you make deals is you don't wait till the last possible moments. Uh, how much of this was the Vancouver Canucks just Vancouver Canucks just saying, let's put this one to bed and get the player? Well, the opportunity came along at the right time for us, and and you're right. Our preference, our preference was to to get a player in here sooner than later. Um, we feel that it gives the player and the team a, a, a longer chance to adjust. And uh, so the opportunity came along and uh, we jumped on it early. What was what was it about Lindholm that you and Patrick Galvin identified um, as being something that the Vancouver Canucks would use, whether there was something in his game. Um, you know, I wondered with Elliot off the top of the show, you know, it's almost one year after, exactly one year after the Bo Horvat trade, how much, you know, you looked at, well, Horvat did this, this, and this, and Lindholm can do that as well, amongst other things. Like, what was it about Lindholm specifically that attracted you, Jim? Yeah, well, they're both good players, obviously, Horvat and Lindholm. They're a little bit different. Um yeah. But with, with Lynn Lindholm, he can play in all situations. He's a right shot center. 
Uh, he can he can also play the wing. So I would suspect um, that uh, Rick Tockett will will play Pedersen and Lindholm together. So he's got that flexibility. But Lindholm, you know, he's a good defensive player. And as you go down the stretch, the games get harder. You get in the playoffs, they get even harder. And and uh, so having having a player like Lindholm uh, certainly gives our team a better chance to win. Um, when you look at this trade, you know, we're talking off the top of the show here. This has been pretty much the, enti- the entire program today. Um, the indication, at least from our perch, is this is Vancouver saying, we think we can win the Stanley Cup. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't think anybody can say they think they can win the Stanley Cup. I, I think what we're saying is it gives us a better chance to win in the playoffs. Certainly, there's a, you know there's a number of good teams out there. Um, we know how breaks go in the playoffs. We saw last year where the Bruins had the best season of any team ever and and went out in the first round. So there's no guarantees, but but what we do feel is that we do have a good team. The players and the coaches have worked hard to get to where they are, and we felt giving them a better chance to win was the right thing to do. And Lynn Holmes is one of the top players that was going to be available in the trade market, and we went out and got him. When you look at the uh, the return that you gave up to get him, uh, a lot of people have already noted that you know top two prospects weren't touched. Uh, first round pick was uh, Hunter Bruskevich as well, um, star for the Kitchener Rangers, who's third in the OHL in scoring and uh, leads in assists. Uh, the Finnish defenseman as well was another here, and then there's a the conditional fourth round pick as well. Was there was there one piece of the return for Craig Conroy that you and Patrick really you know had to had to had to fight to to keep and, and really didn't want to let go here? No, it was a good negotiation. It went on for a couple of weeks, and and uh, Craig he gave Patrick uh, um, a structure of what he thought a deal should look like. He 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 suggested it should look similar to a Horvat deal from a year ago. And that's what they started working off of, and uh, you know we had to we had to make the the money work or the cap work. So that got Kuzminko in the deal. First round pick was a given. That was that was going to be part of it. Um, and then of course we gave up a very good prospect in, in the young defenseman. So, uh, but you you know you're always going to end up giving something you don't really want to give, mm-hmm. but then you have to weigh that with what you got in return. You know, one of the things um, I was mentioning earlier in the program and sort of speculating on um, was the cascading effect. So Lindholm enters the mix with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, it's going to affect other other players' ice time, uh, line mates. Uh, I don't know if it does anything for anything off the ice for contract negotiations. Is this insurance uh, against a, a negotiation? Don't know about that. But when you looked at it, bringing in Lindholm, what's the sort of what's the cascade here? Like who else is affected when you bring in someone like Lindholm? Well, from a team point of view right now, I don't think it affects a whole lot. You take Kuzmenko out of the top six, um, actually out of that one line, of the Pedersen line, and you put Lindholm in. So it shouldn't affect anybody immediately. 
Um, we mm-hmm. we do look at uh, uh, the two possibilities. Lindholm could be a rental. He could be a long-term guy. I In an ideal world, we, we'd like to keep him long-term, but we'll see how that goes. And... Uh, and of course, if he if we do keep him long term, yeah, it will affect. It'll have a domino effect of how many players we can keep from a cap point of view. But we got a long ways to go here. We got uh, over thirty games to go, and hopefully a number of playoff games. And and that stuff usually sorts itself out. We'll be able to figure that out once we get to the end. Uh, feedback from, I know it's all-star break, but any feedback from players, uh, anything from Rick Tockett, uh, what's the sort of internal conversation about Lindholm right now? Uh, everybody in the organization is really excited. And, uh, uh, I had a couple of conversations with the coach last night. He was very happy and, uh, we've received a couple of texts from, from players uh, saying, how excited they were and how much they felt that we improved our team. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any points in this negotiation where uh, this could have been an even bigger deal than it was? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, when you're talking about a deal this big, you, you, you know, different players come up in the conversation, but you know, I'm not going to get into that right. publicly, but there, yeah, there were lots sure. of things talked about. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always curious about, you know, one of the things that I think fascinates people about about managers is how deals come together, and I mean, yeah. you've been through a number of these, and it might start as a one for one and turns into a five for six uh, by the end. I think we're just curious: <laughs> is this a, is this a, is this a trade that went backwards or forward? Like, did more players get added, or did players get taken out of it? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go back to what I said earlier, what what uh, Craig Conroy uh, suggested at the first, it would be something similar to the Horvat deal, and that was three assets. Yeah. Um, I went for uh, Bo Hor- Horvat, and in this case, it ended up being five assets. So, so yes, for different right. reasons, there were there were more things added to this deal. Um, I, I don't think that you or Patrick are ever done. Um, but at, at this point, uh, we think we all wonder sort of in, you know, expectation for the, for the Vancouver Canucks is high. Is it now about more about tweaking the roster or still making, you know, big impactful trades? No, I think, I think we'll just watch the team really close here until March 8th. And I would like to think it's more about tweaking um, you know, this this is a big trade. It's an impactful trade for the Canucks. But uh, I think uh, we hope that we don't have to do anything else, but we'll see what comes along and what the prices are the closer we get to the deadline. Uh, this is a team that's been, you know, you can make the argument, the biggest story in the NHL on the ice this season. Uh, there were many that even wondered about would the Vancouver Canucks even, you know, get close to a wild card spot. Um, given where your team is at right now, um, when you look back to the beginning of the season, what was the expectation or what were the expectations from you and Patrick? Well, we knew everything had to go right for us to have a chance to make the playoffs. 
and uh, and and we knew that we had to make some changes. I don't know exactly how many trades we've made, but I know we've made the majority of them in the league uh, since the start of the season. And, uh, you know, we're not the same team that people were talking about struggling to get into a wildcard spot. We've, we've improved our yeah. team dramatically with some of the changes or some of the needs that we had, like, like uh, a number two goalie into Smith, you know, I mean, he's, he's played a big part in this. He's, he's been a good partner for Demko. He's played well in the games he's played. So some of the role players that we've added and, and whatnot that have fit in nicely. So um, we've, uh, we've, we've changed the team quite a bit since the start of training camp. Um, you mentioned that things had to go, you know, perfectly for the Vancouver Canucks. With things, I mean, everyone needed to have, I don't say career seasons, but everybody had to be at their best for the Vancouver Canucks to, to do what they, what you hope they would do, um, getting to this point right now. And everybody has, like you go player through player. I mean, you have how many players that we all expect to be up for awards at the end of the season. Uh, that includes both on the ice and behind the bench too. We should, we should mention, uh, what do you attribute it to? Like this has been so far and again, we're at all-star break, but this has been a real magical ride for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and it's not as if you turn the whole team over and found lightning in a bottle. What do you attribute this success to? Well, it's a lot of things. A lot of a lot of things contributed to it. But uh, at the end of last season, Rick Talk had laid out a plan for the players, uh, uh, encouraging them to uh, to do certain things in the off season, come into camp, be ready to to go they got a feel from him uh, in the second half of last season as to to how he went about things and and the system he wanted to play the players bought into the system they they uh they bought in to being ready to play and right from the start of training camp it just went from there and it's uh it's been very positive it's kind of just snowballed and the players are believing in themselves and in the team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, a lot of credit goes, the the credit goes to the players, but, uh, you know, a lot of credit goes to the plan that Rick Talk had put put forward here uh, prior to the season. Mm -hmm. Um, Last one for you, Jim. I know it's a a busy day with a a lot of media obligations. Um, I I do want to ask about Elias Pettersson, and I know that Pettersson doesn't want to have, you know, the conversation about the contract extension. He wants to focus on the game. But would it be accurate... Would it be accurate to say that when Patterson is prepared to have the conversation uh, with you and Patrick, that you already have something in mind or something to present him? Oh yeah, we're ready for that. I mean, we we prepare for these things all the time, and uh, you know, uh, say the obvious. We we really want Patterson to stay in Vancouver. He's a special player, and. Uh, you know, when when he feels comfortable, then we'll sit down and hopefully make that happen. Excellent. Uh, Jim, congratulations on a couple of things. The deal, uh, the contract extension as well, and uh, just how well your team has played. Uh, it looks great. Uh, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Much appreciated. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. There he is, Jim Rutherford, the president of the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, a couple of interest, particularly interesting things there. And we wondered about this with Ian McIntyre in hour one, and that is um, the future of Lindholm with the Vancouver Canucks. Is he a rental? Could there be something after this season uh, for Lindholm and the Vancouver Canucks? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I want to go as far as to say that that Lindholm is is Pedersen protection uh, if things don't go well with any negotiation. But there certainly is that sidebar to it, isn't there? I think we've all wondered about that since you know we first uh, heard the news uh, through Elliot in that conversation with uh, Pedersen in Stockholm on the boat. Um, that he wasn't ready to have those conversations and that, you know, a, a number of things from Pedersen's point of view, he needed to be satisfied on. One, how stable things were around Vancouver. And I think we could all make the argument that, you know, you look at Rutherford's extension, you look at Alvin's extension, you look at, you know, Rick Tockett behind the bench and what he's able to do, uh, that things seem uh, very stable with this organization, some would say for the first time in a long time. Uh, and also, can they win? And I think that's probably the biggest, the, the most obvious one out of all of it. Like if you're Elias Pettersson and you're looking around this organization and you have an idea of all the different boxes that you need to check, Vancouver's checking them all right now. Like I know there are, like there are some players in the league that are happy to negotiate through the year, and that's fine. Um, you know, they'll say to their agent, hey, you know what, uh, feel free to, to negotiate. Just give me an update every now and then. Uh, don't bother me unless there's like something big you need to tell me or that we're close, given the parameters that I've, I've given you to, to negotiate around, where there are others that just don't want anything to do with it. They just want to focus on hockey and let the business happen at the end of the season. Sometimes that is pragmatic because players could get distracted. We all know how contract negotiations have gone. Uh, I've gone through them. I'm sure you've gone through them as well. Um, sometimes they can get emotional. Sometimes they can be challenging. Sometimes certainly they can be distracting. And when you're someone like Elias Pettersson, who plays at the elite level in the NHL, the last thing you need to be worrying about on way to the rink, at home, coming back from the rink or on the ice it's your contract situation. Now, having said all of that, I mean, so sometimes it might be uh, it might be practical. Sometimes it might be tactical as well. That you know, there's a there's an element of you know um, you want to put it off as long as possible uh, to give to sort of at least place the seed of doubt in the other side because really when it comes down to it. When it really comes down to it, in any contract negotiation, this is true in my field of work, your field of work, Elias Pettersson's field of work. Really, the only the only leverage you have in a contract is if you're prepared to walk away. And if you can plant that seed of doubt in the other side's mind, then you carry with you an advantage. I'm not saying that's what Pettersson's doing. I think Pettersson's more along the lines of, I want to see what this organization is all about now. And I want to see, you know, how I can fit into this. Given that I want, you know, I want it to be, I want the, the structure to be there. Uh, I want the foundation to be there and I want the winning to be there as well. Um, I think bringing in someone like uh, Elias Lindholm goes a long way. As far as a message goes, to Pedersen, that this is a team that is dedicated to and interested in winning. And the other thing that I'd like to point out about all of this is it's really good to see the Vancouver Canucks doing so well. Like the best, again, the best hockey Twitter still in the NHL is Vancouver. Uh, there are, and no disrespect 
Toronto, New York, Philadelphia. You all have wonderful Twitter hockey fans. Vancouver's special. Vancouver is different. Whether they are angry at their team or whether they are in love with their team, there is no more vocal a hockey fan base on social media than Vancouver. And for a lot of time, for a lot of time, like really, it's just been grousing about the team and how bad the team has been and how um, poorly run the team has been and timeline this and player that and this was a bad trade and let's go back to this draft and you blew it in these areas and maybe you weren't going to take Elias Pedersen after all and you backed backed into it and you just got lucky and yeah you got lucky that the Detroit Red Wings didn't take Quinn Hughes and he fell into your lap etc 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 I'm just glad that fan base has something good to cheer about right now and it is really exciting and listen Friedman's brought up the point before that um you know since uh 1993 Canada hasn't had a Stanley Cup champion did you know that by the way which was the first year that Gary Bettman was commissioner of the NHL. It was Montreal Canadiens, and that was the last time. It would be great. And Vancouver's probably, with all due respect, Winnipeg, the best chance for Canada, right now at least, to win a Stanley Cup. So, this just got a little bit juicier. I think if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, you're going, hmm, that's interesting. If you're a Winnipeg Jets fan or a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, or any other Canadian team that has aspirations to win the Stanley Cup. This latest move by Vancouver maybe gives you cause for pause and you say, how is my team going to respond? What are we going to do? Thanks to Jim Rutherford for stopping by. Thanks to uh, Kelly Rudy, Ian McIntyre, Elliot Friedman. Man, we spent a lot of time on this trade, but it's huge, right? Can't blame me. Dave Sis, Matt Marchese, our producers, uh, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, board op and TV director, and thanks to you for listening slash watching. Merrick Show returns tomorrow, noon Eastern. Got it? Back tomorrow.